Greetings, ladies and metalgents, and welcome to this latest rendition of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. Now, on to the science fiction. An exploration to Mars reveals the eroded corpses of a legion of Roman soldiers, written by underscore sky underscore underscore. Let's say I did not believe the news when I first heard it. Humanity came to Mars to search for life. Instead, we found a graveyard. Shocking as some discoveries are, this one topped them all. Nobody could make sense of any of it, thousands upon thousands of bodies, all properly buried inside a massive cave. Their weapons and equipment too, as if they might need them in the afterlife. Due to the Martian climate, lack of oxygen, bacterial life and general conditions inside the cave, the corpses and their equipment were all preserved, so much so that even the astronauts who first saw them had recognized them for what they were. Roman legionaries. The period of the late Republic, certainly post-Marian reforms, if I were any judge of it. And here I was to do precisely that. The first archaeologist visiting Mars. Ever. It should come as no surprise that NASA did not bother to put any expert from my field of study in its original expedition. After all, nobody sane could have predicted this. It took them three months and billions of dollars to quickly get me there, and they spared no expense, no matter the equipment I asked for. The Congress and President have approved everything unanimously. So to say that they were eager for results on my part would be an understatement. Hell, the whole public was going mad over it. Trust me, you know you are dealing with something crazy when internet conspiracy nuts and the world's leading scientists are actually in a sort of agreement. Most blamed some aliens, others claimed previous civilizations were more advanced and had possessed some forgotten technology, a different science. But it is tough to have a solid counterpoint in this kind of situation. Biologists present there at the moment of discovery had already confirmed that to the best of their knowledge, these were indeed the corpses of humans who had died more than 2,000 years ago. They had repeated DNA tests for dozens of thousands of times already for each of the corpses, and carbon dating too. Sadly, all I was able to do first was confirm the authenticity of the equipment. Then, however, I started to investigate the causes of death and came to a startling discovery. They were all killed, suffering battlefield-type injuries and succumbed to them. Every corpse had traces of some trauma, slashes on their bone, punctured wounds indicating physical damage, broken parts of the skull, etc. Medical experts that were part of the original expedition have previously seen and confirmed some of it, bashed skull being a rather obvious sign but they did not have my experience to draw upon and conclude what they were seeing. There was no doubt in my mind that these men had all died in battle, a rather brutal one at that. However, the number of previous injuries that got healed was even more staggering, disproportionate to anything I'd ever seen, even on the corpses of experienced warriors that survived many battles and died of old age. What was even more disturbing was that many of the injuries weren't something that they should have survived. 
apparent traces of knife or spear going through their ribcage into the heart, multiple slashes to their inner side of the collarbone, all of the neck. There was no chance of anybody surviving that kind of damage, even without modern medicine. Yet there I was, looking at the exact type of injury, perfectly healed, only minute traces of the bone signifying that there ever was any damage in the first place. Soon, I managed to extract what seemed like fragments of an arrow tips from some bones. However, their shape and general design were unknown to me. Already there, I should have suspected something, but it was only after the other members of the research team had done a material analysis of the arrow tips that the whole scope of the mystery erupted. It turned out that the metal used in creating them did not come from Earth or Mars. Then, in what was a eureka moment, we tested the weapons of the legionaries themselves for traces of DNA. And what we found was astonishing. Not a DNA of a single species, but that of dozens of unknown life forms, many of which had completely different genetic structures to our own. Further testing, we even found traces of alien DNA in their wounds and on other body parts. The evidence was undeniable. These men have all died while fighting alien lifeforms that use similar primitive weapons to their own. The ramifications of such a hypothesis were staggering. Not just were we not alone in the universe. Instead, we had already fought some of them. However, the complete truth would evade us for decades. In the meantime, the scientists, historians, and artists would all come up with their interpretations Hollywood and Netflix in particular. Countless series were made where Roman Legion gets transferred to another world by a rare natural events, a portal, magic, or a something. Take your pick. Then there were a series where magic existed in the past but was erased from existence by some grand event. Not to forget the scenario where advanced aliens kidnapped a Roman Legion. That theme was popular too, and that one turned out to be the closest to the truth. Buried deep in the cave where we first found the bodies was a house-sized monolith. It did not show up on any scanner, nor did it look anything special, but on its surface was carved in perfect Latin, a story that hardly anyone would have believed if not for the overwhelming material evidence. It told the tale of powerful foreign gods, likely advanced aliens, deciding to pit primitive armies of mortals from countless different worlds against each other in a grand tournament, all for their amusement. The writing described a grand arena which made the Circus Maximus look like a child's bathtub, a place where the entire armies could battle against each other. On the human side, the Terrans would always be somewhere from Earth that was familiar to the Romans. Like somebody had cut out a part of Italy and brought it there, claimed the author. On the opposing side, they would always see a part of a different world. Everything from blush forests to scorched deserts, and demons and monsters which inhabited those same lands, arranged for battle. The only rules were that there were none either one army one or the other, to draw just meant that they would fight again the next day. And refusing to fight, well, that was instant death for all. There were also equally grand rewards and punishment to motivate the participants. No matter how unbelievable it sounded, the winning army would get all of its dead soldiers resurrected, miraculously healed. The losing one, uh, not so much. The weird thing was that the number of opponents differed wildly. 
Sometimes they fought smaller numbers of giant beings twice the size of man. Other times they would get swarmed by things that were no larger than children. When they dared to ask one of the foreign gods about what made the fights fair, they were told that the mass of the two armies was always the same, equipment, horses, and other beasts of burden included. One centurion cursed that they did not get a few elephants, and others debated him if a single elephant was worth fifty to sixty men. It was writings and descriptions like those that offered a vivid insight into a significant and unknown part of our history. Everything from fears to the mental toll the event took on them to the details so unbelievable that one had to remind themselves where this writing was found. They even mentioned how it was often easier to walk on enemy land and that their armor and body felt significantly lighter. Yet legionaries struggled to understand why that was, as naturally they did not know about gravity, nor could they have concluded that the aliens had copied every aspect of the local terrain, even the gravity, it seemed. Instead, they reasoned it was a buff given to the one who dared to attack first and encroach on the enemy territory, as to motivate both sides to be more aggressive. It was only later when they fought the army of the Yellow Children, which were riding some gracious beasts, skinny horses with disproportionately long legs, that they noticed that their enemy would slow down considerably once they would step onto the soil of Italy. Sadly, no explanation was given as to how were the effects of different atmospheres mitigated, but considering the Romans never mentioned breathing problems, we can assume some advanced technology at play there too. Then, after tens of battles, they arrived at what was the grand finale. By now, all of them were experienced veterans who saw things others could only dream about. Heck, some of them had even died on multiple occasions, only for their injuries to heal miraculously. And now, everything was coming to an end. In front of them, on a rocky terrain covered in moss and low foliage, stood an army of wolf-sized insects with slick and elongated bodies. Their legs were resembling that of a spider, while on the top of their elongated bodies flayed three razor-sharp tentacles, the length of a human arm. A nightmarish-looking creatures that did not seem to use any armor or weapons except their own body, their skin black as night. However, the most horrifying thing about them was not their looks, but rather their sheer numbers. They outnumbered the Romans by at least four to one, a far wider margin than any previous opponents. Worst of all, they got informed that after this battle, there would be no miraculous healing. Once did, they would stay so. Supposedly, the gods found that amusing. Still, the 17,000 legionaries warmed up as one, their lines disciplined as ever. They were putting faith in their battle-tested strategy, Noticing that the enemies often relied on their charges' sheer ferocity and brutality rather than drill and battle formations, except for a few factions that heavily favored skirmishing tactics. Usually, after absorbing the initial charge, all that was left was to grind down the enemy in the battle of endurance that always seemed to overwhelmingly favor the humans. However, to their surprise, the enemy too formed up into hundreds of neatly organized swarms, each numbering around 600 or so insects. Then the opposing army rushed at them as if they were a single being, every individual monstrosity moving with the speed of a horse, yet in perfect synchronization. 
as if they got drilled on how to move in groups ever since they were born. In turn, the legionaries tightened their ranks and prepared to receive the charge, their breathing heavy, pulling the cavalry inside, safe behind the infantry. Many were relieved to see the enemy soldiers slow down considerably once they crossed the line separating the environments of the two worlds, but they still ran faster than any human ever could. Soon, to the surprise of most, the enemy unleashed a rain of arrows upon them. They did not use bows, but rather their tentacles to fire small arrow bolts at the considerable distance, almost rivaling human archers. In response, the legionaries quickly formed up into their testados, negating whatever damage the insects wished to inflict upon them. Enemy swarms surrounded and circled the Roman army, peppering it with arrow bolts. For close to an hour, however, the projectiles landing on the legionary shields barely did any damage initially, as they were far lighter and had less force behind them than the arrows generally used by humans. Still, the losses mounted a bit by bit, but the humans held firm, experienced as they were by now. Luckily, the enemy was soon out of ammunition and seemed uneager to engage directly. Yet, its swarms were continuing to circle and wait for some opportunity. Then, one of the swarms got closer, as if to bait the legionnaires to break their formation. Yet, it was instead greeted by an avalanche of javelins that easily impaled the bodies of the enemy combatants. The swarm retreated in panic, breaking its cohesion and reforming only when it was a safe distance away. The stalemate lasted for two more hours before the insectoid retreated to their territory. This, in turn, raised the morale of every single legionary. They did suffer some minor losses in men, but the enemy spent the last three hours circling and firing upon them to no avail. Undoubtedly, the swarms were exhausted, and it would be funny to give them time to rest or restock on ammunition. With trained precision, the Roman army moved forward, eager to finish the last battle. True, the enemy looked nightmarish, disgusting, but these men have seen a lot. Their morale only grew ever more when they passed the border between the two terrains. Two worlds. They felt their bodies and equipment lose a third of its weight. A serious advantage in combat. The enemy waited for them to march further in while harassing them on flanks, skirmishing. Once they were deep enough, dozens of swarms rushed forward with a speed far more significant than they were previously capable of. After all, they were no longer restricted by the level of gravity on the Roman territory. A fierce battle erupted as the legionaries found themselves surrounded by the enemy, which seemed able to coordinate its strikes perfectly. The initial attack took down many Roman soldiers, but for every human that died, three insectoids got crushed. Their sharp tentacles were flailing in defiance. Soon, however, the situation stabilized, and the momentum of the enemy's charge slowed to a crawl, all while the Roman soldiers were hacking and bashing with their swords and shields alike. Swarms tried to breach the formation with brute force, climbing over their shields, suicidally pushing at even the smallest gap that they could find, retreating and again striking at any spot they thought weaker than the others. However, despite the warrior's sheer biological strength, their sharp talons and tentacles could not match metal armor and weapons. They coordinated their strikes with ever-increasing precision, using what projectiles they had left to snipe any exposed legionaries. Such a tactic would have broken any other human army, but not one experienced as this one. 
and enemy losses continued to mount disproportionately to the human ones. And just as it seemed that the end result was a foregone conclusion, a roar shook the surrounding area. Twenty or so elephant-sized monstrosities rose from the back of the enemy army. Every beast had its own body covered in thick chitin, while dozens of tentacles, each three times the length of a man, swirled in the air. They charged forward with unstoppable momentum, supported by a swarm of somewhat larger insects. Quickly, the commanding centurions realized the enemy was using its elite forces. Legionaries prepared their javelins and adopted an anti-elephant tactics. Yet it did not work. The beasts that charged their lines were not some mindless animals, but vicious subspecies of warriors. Consciously smashing into the line of man, despite the pain and punishment the javelins inflicted upon it. The chaos caused by the impact vibrated through the Roman army at its formations. Smaller groups of soldiers got separated and were quickly swarmed and overwhelmed. But they did not rout. Everyone knew that there was no salvation but victory. One by one, the giant beasts fell, but each extracted a hefty price in the form of dead legionaries it slaughtered. An hour later, when the dust settled and the battle was over, only a few hundred legionaries were unhurt. Many others were wounded. The rest, a vast majority, were dead. On the other hand, insectoids were littered the ground, dead to a single of their number. Humankind was victorious. Yet without miraculous healing provided to them, many were succumbed to their injuries. In the end, many more than a thousand survived. When asked what they wished to be done with their dead comrades, the highest-ranking centurion answered, Honor them as warriors they were, and give them to Mars. He is our god of war. May they be remembered for their courage. And so they were laid down in a cave on a red planet, with a monument returning their deeds. What happened to the survivors is unknown. Theories are too numerous to count but it does remain as one of the greatest mysteries. When they returned to Earth, their memories deleted, or they lived out their lives somewhere else. We'll maybe never know, but we will always remember that when put into an impossible situation, humans proved themselves more than capable, even when they had to face real gods and monsters. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.